something that I it's taken me a very long time to understand is that the name of this game of life is ease and enjoyment. And when we align with that ease and the doesn't mean that there aren't obstacles along the way, you know, that comes with life. There are always going to be obstacles. It's okay to rest. It's okay to enjoy. It's okay to play. Welcome to Inside Out Career Design. In this show, we're obsessed with answering a single question. Is it possible to create an authentic, meaningful, and fulfilling life you love while building a successful and rewarding career? My name is Peter Axtell, and I'm here with Nicola Vetter. We're co-founders of the whatsnext.com Career Insights Platform and creators of the groundbreaking Motivation Finder Assessment. Join us as we seek to transform suffering into joy for millions of people stuck and confused in their lives and careers. We'll share our insights, discoveries, and life lessons and talk with career experts, leaders, spiritual guides, psychologists, data scientists, coaches, anyone who might hold a strategy or answer to the age-old questions of what's next for me and what should I do with my life? Get ready to be inspired, motivated, and above all, to connect deeply with who you are and what you're meant to do with the time you've been given. If you like what you hear, share it with your friends or family and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. Are you trying to figure out what to do with your life? to figure out what to do with the precious time you've been given on this earth, or to figure out what only you as a remarkable and unique individual can bring into this world? If you are, please join us for one of our live and completely free online workshops where we cover different topics to help you figure out what to do with your life and career without wasting precious time taking wild guesses or risking it all. To save your spot in our next live and free workshop, go to whatsnext.com forward slash workshops. We can't wait to see you there. Again, that's whatsnext.com forward slash workshops. Our guest today is Robin Athey. Robin was a well-paid, high-powered executive and thought leader at Deloitte who traveled the world and lived in luxury. After a big wake-up call, a what's-next moment, and lots of self-exploration and further training, she left that world behind and became a leadership consultant and somatic coach. We started this podcast to explore how to design your life and career from the inside out. This process has many facets, and one of them is the idea of having a purpose, trusting your inner wisdom, and learning from life's experiences. That begs the question, what is purpose and how do I find it? And that's why we were looking forward to talking with Robin, who is a purpose guide. And in our conversation, we talk about why having a purpose is so important in life and how to find it. What 
having inner wisdom really means. How you can learn to listen to your inner wisdom. How authenticity helps you with inner alignment. How to change habits that don't serve you. How understanding neurobiological responses helps with making wise decisions. And why leaving your job is not necessarily a recipe for happiness. So, let's listen and learn from Robin. Hi, Robin, and welcome. We are so happy to have you here with us on the show today. Mm, thank you, Nicola. Thank you, Peter. It's really an honor to be here with you both. Absolutely. Now, you have had quite an interesting international and diverse life and career so far. Please take us on your journey and tell us a little bit about what led you to the work you do today. Wow, it's been a really circuitous journey. I mean, it's had so many different chapters. And if I were to start, it started when I was about eight years old. And I was um, at Disneyland. And do you remember, I don't know if you've been to Disneyland, but there's this ride in Los Angeles. I don't think Disney World was around yet. There's this ride called It's a Small World. And you float through on boats. And there are all these, you know, now kind of very archetypal, maybe stereotypical images, you know, of, of different doll-like characters singing in lots of different languages and expressing um, different ways of being, different cultures. And I was fascinated. And that's the earliest I remember being absolutely fascinated by other cultures and really wanting to be in those different cultures. And so um, that fascination kept going. I was, you know, I would watch this was back in like the 60s and 70s. They had foreign flicks for kids. And it was, you know, probably Ireland was about as foreign as it got in the UK. But I remember just being really fascinated by that. And, it, you know, at that time, there wasn't a lot of exposure to these different cultures. And I grew up in a small town in, in Connecticut um, where I didn't have exposure. But my father was an airline pilot. And as soon as I could, when I was in college, I just took a ticket and started traveling, backpacking and, you know, as young, young people tend to do. And I got the bug and I knew I was studying engineering um, in as an undergrad. And I knew that engineering was nice, but what I really wanted was to be living in a lot of different countries and had a lot of student debt. So the Peace Corps didn't seem like an option because, well, those two things don't go together very well. Peace Corps doesn't really pay and student debt requires a paycheck. So my mom convinced me that rather than going off to the Peace Corps and rather than studying French literature, I should continue in my engineering studies and then just find a job that would let me travel. And I found it in management consulting. And I lived all over the world and, and really off the beaten path places and Japan doing an internship with Hitachi Research Labs, then the West Indies, then the Soviet Union in the 80s, and four different countries in Central America, and ultimately Mexico, a lot of time in Brazil and India. And yeah. Wow. So at some point, it seems that you took a different path from a well-paid and high-powered executive to becoming a leadership consultant and 
somatic coach. So first, for our listeners, what is a somatic coach? So a somatic coach works with the body and the mind. And um, it's a way of working with the unconscious, with the core beliefs and core material around which we unconsciously organize our lives. So we all have these kind of core beliefs about ourselves, core thoughts, core emotions that we carry within our ancestry. It's said now from research that we have about 14 generations of ancestry in our DNA and um, that we carry from our ancestry, that we carry from our families. And these are core beliefs that are laid down in really about the first three years. Definitely the first seven years, most of our operating system as human beings is laid down. And so somatic coaching is a way of working um, that can do a lot of different things. It can, it's a way of working to access some of these core beliefs, um, you know, a belief like I'm not enough, you know, these things, we pick up these messages when we're young. Am I enough? Am I, is this, am I safe? Um, is it okay to express my voice and things like that? And so somatic coaching is a way of accessing some of that core material around which we unconsciously organize our lives. And it's also a way of being able to lay down, uh, you could say, new architecture or new wiring in, 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 in these operating systems. So if you imagine as human beings, we're all kind of walking around in a video or a movie of the world that is largely conditioned through our ancestry, through our, our upbringings. Um, as adults, we have a chance when we can surface these things and become aware of them, we have the chance to be witness to them. So we can have them rather than them, them having us and be in greater choice. Let's, let's drill down a little bit to this idea of a new kind of architecture. Mm. So how would you explain that to someone, what that looks like or what that feels like? Yeah. Well, I'll just, I'll give a, a personal example, um, and maybe I can bring in some uh, anonymous client examples. So when we work through the body, we're able to access some of these beliefs that are not in our conscious, um, our conscious uh, thoughts on a daily basis. And so one of mine might be that um, through somatic psychotherapy, actually, I had revealed that I have this inner voice that says, I got to keep going, got to keep going, got to keep going, meaning I can't rest, you know, I just got to keep going, got to keep going, got to keep going. And, you know, for years, that belief had me, I just kept going, 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 living in all these different countries, I was a runner, um, running away from a lot. And when I came back to the US, it was a time of reckoning, I had to look at some things that um, I really didn't want to look at, and that required me to slow down. And when I slowed down to look at those things, I was dealing with some addictive patterns and um, and pain that I had been carrying around, and the slowing down was painful. And so it took some years to to unpack this, but I realized that I was in this pattern of going, 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 going for really good reasons. It's an intelligence that was within me that helped me from uh, having to feel some of the pain and the discomfort that I was feeling, you know, residual stuff from my parents and divorce and all of the things that um, I had uh, brought into my adulthood and into my leadership. So 
I want to pause there because I'm going to go, I'm going to share a specific moment where all of a sudden I had a, a kind of big wake up about the need to slow down. Please. Shall I just keep going? Yes. No, okay. share that moment. <laughs> yeah. So I had come back to the US. I was still going, 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 you know, very fast and living in New York City for a good chunk of time where I could be with a lot of other people who are going, going, going. And um, I took a job. I was 33 years old. It was 1995. And I took a job that landed me in a very senior role. So I had developed a lot of experience as a consultant living in all these countries and in particular in manufacturing. And so I landed a very plum job as a vice president of global production for a very high-end luxury goods subsidiary of Nike. And um, they had been after me. I had been consulting to this company. They'd been after me and I kept saying, no, no, no. And as soon as I heard vice president, it was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, who at 33, like, who's not a lot of people would say no, you know, like maybe some, I decided to just go for it. And um, I was miserable. I was absolutely miserable. And what happened was that I realized, first of all, that I was still carrying what I can identify now is a lot of residual, I'll use the word trauma. And I use that word very, uh, with a lot of honor because um, trauma is a word that's tossed around a lot. And I, in my world, trauma really refers to a kind of dissociation, a going away and a not really being here present. Um, and that was happening to me a lot. I didn't understand it at the time, but I felt very fragmented going in a lot of directions. It was hard for me literally to sit still. So at 33, I landed this job um, that was not really aligned with my deepest purpose or even, you know, even medium wise, um, chasing production around the world. Um, I had all of the material trappings, though, and I, I, I like nice things. So I had this very fancy car, a five story townhouse filled with like mahogany floors and walls and cabinetry. It was very beautiful in a corner office, you know, and Italian suits and beautiful footwear and all of that. And I had made it, you know, my family and friends thought, wow, this is it. And what I didn't share with them at the time was that I was feeling so empty inside. And I was feeling very, now I have language for it. I was feeling very fragmented. Um, I was feeling very not in my body. And um, at the time, I just knew that I felt depressed and I couldn't understand why would I be depressed? I have everything, you know, this is the 1980, well, 1995. At that time in the 80s and 90s, having these material things is a really big deal. And, um, and something in me just knew like, this is not it. And so year and a half later, through mutual agreement, I left that role and went back to grad school, which seemed like the best choice at the time for anybody who doesn't know what to do at that young age, you know, why not grad school? So I went back to grad school and on my way, I learned, um, I landed at the house of friends in Atlanta who taught me how to meditate. And um, that was probably the biggest gift I've ever received in my life. It was really difficult. I dissociated a lot, you know, in the early days, it was kind of here, but not here. And, um, but I learned, I started learning how to come back into my body in like little, little ways, 
now I'm working with people, I understand how to do that in a way that offers more support than I, I had at the time that I needed at the time. But it was a real turning point. And what I took away that led me into leadership coaching was a realization that I was in over my head, you know, in terms of um, dealing with emotional things that were backlogged in my system, as well as, um, you know, a job trying to navigate a job that I didn't really care about and trying to understand what was next. I, I didn't know what I wanted, but I, I, I knew what I didn't want. I didn't know what I wanted. And, um, and it, it caused a, you speak a lot about what's next moments. And this is a really big what's next moment, you know, where I had no idea, but it planted the seeds for leadership coaching and that I now coach at the level that I needed then. And that includes working with someone who has trauma, you know, who now I can say is carrying a lot of that in their system. Robin, I can imagine people listening to this right now. They're saying, okay, give me the money, give me the Italian clothes, give me the penthouse, give me the fine car. Just just give that to me because that's what I, I really want. And then I'll, I'll figure out whether I want it or I don't want it. I'm sure you understand that. How did you make that transition from complete material comfort and quote, so-called security and make that break? This is not so easy for people to do or to give up for a multitude of reasons. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, not easy for me either. It's not like I just had a clean break with material things. Um, my wish, I'll, I'll share what actually did really break it. It would, happened years later um, where material things really kind of loosened the grip that um, they'd had on me. Um, my wish for for people is that they actually have that experience. I think it's, I don't wish for anyone to not have an experience that's calling them. And developmentally, it's really appropriate that people have an experience of feeling like, hey, I made it, you know, like I have all these nice things. It's easier to have something fully to be able to let it go. For many, having an experience fully um, allows this natural letting go and release to, to happen. I don't, I needed that experience. I needed to know like, what's it like to have beautiful Italian suits, you know, which I still love to this day. I don't, own any, I don't think anymore. But at that time, it was something that really called, you know, being able to go to Italy and go shopping at Max Mara and, you know, and having beautiful bags and shoes. And it didn't go away immediately. You know, I had those nice things. And I definitely realized there was an emptiness. My um, appetite for luxury things happened. There was a short chapter where it was really strong. And then I realized this wasn't it. And I think some of the clues to that were realizing that I spent, I don't know how long, like days trying to figure out what color luxury Volvo do I want? You know, like what's me, you know, is it white? Is it red? And at the same time, I was dating a Spaniard at the time who was, you know, not wired this way. And and I remember receiving his feedback to this and um, I seemed so caught up and I realized during the experience, something in me realized like, wow, this is, there's, there's not a real, a lot of there there with this question, you know, and maybe I'm not that, you know, white luxury Volvo with the tan leather seats and seat warmers, which were a big deal in those days. 
just love dating. <laughs> you know, sunroof and moonroof and all that. Um, well, the the shift continued for a long time. You know, I'll confess that, you know, life has ways of sending lots of exercise, lots of practice for things like this. I continued after grad school to travel a lot, to travel a lot internationally. And for some reason, even though I would check my bags priority and I was often business class, um, my bags would be the last ones off the conveyor belt. And I would feel the stress rise in my system because I had a real attachment to these nice things, you know, and like, remember, like keeping tabs of everything that was in the suitcase that was not coming off the conveyor belt. And where was it? And having to be there with the stress of my attachment to these things. And so I had lots of experiences like that until one day, um, the home I lived in burned down and all of it went, everything I've been attached to gone. I spent $900 trying to clean some of it that was lightly singed and still retrievable-ish. But the smell, you know, if you have, for anyone who's experienced a, a home uh, fire, it's the, um, it's the fire, it's the toxicity of the, of course, the firemen, and it's the, uh, the smell of the fire that doesn't leave fabrics. And so um, that was it you know, and there's a Hindu in the Hindu mythology, there's a, a God called Shiva, who's the, or, you know, of the destroyer. And it was as if Shiva came through and just took away I, what I had known was to be too much. It was a lot of stuff that was carrying, weighting me down from the next chapter of my life. You've written and talked a lot about purpose. You described it in your writing as identifying what is calling a person forth. Beautiful writing, by the way. And you call yourself a purpose guide. How do you guide your clients go about finding their purpose? And perhaps you can share a story of a client. Well, I guide people in purpose in various ways. And you know, I would say as a headline for anyone who really wants to come into an alignment of purpose. And I'll offer a little context for what, how I, what I think of as purpose. Like, what is that even? And how do we know when we're in it? Um, the first thing I think that's the most important is just to want it. It's to want to feel in alignment with something bigger than ourselves. And when I'm working with people, that's my number one wish for them. You know, first, do you want this? And if you do, then there are lots of ways of going about to, to find it. Um, I guide people on year-long purpose journeys where we work very closely together for about three or four months. And then they continue to on their own with support with uh, an accountability group. Um there are lots of ways of going about and finding one's purpose and people are all in different relationship. And I think it would be helpful before I share a story to share a little bit about like, how, what do I even think purpose is? Like, how is it that any human being feels some kind of alignment? Um, I'm going to borrow again from the Hindu tradition because there's a word in the Hindu tradition called Dharma. It's a Sanskrit word and in Hindu tradition, it's sometimes called Swadharma. 
Dharma in Hindu tradition is a little bit different than the Buddhist. In Buddhist, it refers to teachings. In the in the Hindu tradition, Dharma is a, a word, a principle that refers to an alignment of our thoughts, our actions, our behaviors, our words with higher principles. You could call them values or um, principles for living. And um these, when we have this alignment, it allows us to be in harmony with universal principles or laws. So some examples might be living a life of truth or living a life of intuition or living a life of empathy or something like that. Purpose is not a what in my world. It's not I know I'm supposed to be a an architect, you know. There are some people for whom this clicks very fast. My father was about eight years old when he realized he wanted to be a pilot, and he became one. But it wasn't so much the what, it's what being a pilot allowed for him, you know, a sense of freedom, a sense of adventure, a sense of exploring, a sense of being in authority, you know, which was something that was very important for us, for him. So this principle of dharma really refers to an essence that we all carry. And our essence is different. Um, you know, you can think of the unique thumbprints that we have within, within life. We're carrying a unique essence, a unique kind of thumbprint in this blueprint of existence. And so dharma is really coming into touch for me or coming into touch with purpose and alignment is coming in touch with what are those unique qualities, that unique essence that we all have. People are often talking about passion. Yeah. Now, what is the difference? How do you define the difference between passion and purpose? For me, passion can come along with purpose. You know, they don't have to. It can be part of it. You know, I feel very aligned with passion, with purpose and feel a, a passion for what I do. But it has a different quality to it than the kind of passion that I had when I was younger that was largely fueled by others' expectations of me. You know, I had a, a passion for making sure that everybody thought I was smart, you know, and so I did everything and I could do to be as smart as possible. And um, But that was largely conditioned through my upbringing and the expectations of my parents and probably some ancestral stuff. Um, it has a different quality. And if I come back to the body, it has a different sensation. Um, that passion um, felt external to me more than internal. Um, it's, uh, you know, something that was kind of externally pulling me forward. The passion that I have now that comes with my a sense of dharma or alignment or coherence with a larger truth, you know, where my qualities and how I show up just seem aligned and easeful. There's an ease to it. The passion has an ease. It's like a, like a light burning inside um, that you know, I think of just of sensing it now, uh, you know, imagining like a flame that just burns and it has a gentler quality to it. Um, not quite as fervent. Um, yeah. I just wanted to mention that, I've had people push back on me about saying, I don't know what my purpose is. Mm -hmm. I feel someone told me I should have a purpose. I don't know how to find it. And I'm really frustrated because I don't have a purpose. I'm sure you've encountered that. So yeah. I really like what you had to say about being in alignment. What I would say is with your values. It's a really good yeah. point. You said that 
we reveal our true nature when we step into authenticity. So what does that mean? Authenticity, it's great. You know, this word is like so common and and I'm it's fun, you know, asking along, well, what is it now? How do I understand authenticity now? I understand authenticity as being in alignment and coherence with life. Um, it's responding to life as it's happening in a way that's genuine to a unique essence. It's, um, again, I'm going to use this word, but it's like that kind of liberation from our conditioning, from the imprinting that we have that allows me to be in relationship with whatever comes my way um, in a way that feels aligned, coherent, genuine, um, you know, and when I think of leaders in an authentic place, you know, they're 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 aligned with their values. They're not in defensive posturing, but they're in connection with themselves in a way that's honoring of others, in connection with others, in uh, in response to something larger that's happening. And so, authenticity for me, again, you know, one way to think about it is coming back to this kind of like genuine alignment where I'm in relationship to something from the whole of who I am and who I can be. And what is the connection between authenticity and purpose? That's a great question, Nicola. I might turn that one back around. I could turn all these questions back around. You know, as I'm saying it now, in a way, it's um, it's kind of one and the same. You know, I it's beyond my pay grade to know that we all have these unique thumbprints in life, you know, that we have these unique qualities, these unique essences, that we have these unique gifts to offer life in a, a great this great ecosystem of life. It's beyond my pay grade to say, yes, that is a big T truth, you know, I but I believe it. And um, I, I believe that ultimately we all have unique authenticities, unique ways of orienting with life. And I have this, this kind of image um, that's also described, uh, I'm drawing a lot from Hindu mythology now, there's a concept of Indra's net, you know, where we're all reflecting reflecting back for each other. And how I like to play with that image is the reflection of us all offering our unique gifts um, in a way that we get to reflect that all back for we, to each other as part of this larger organism, you know, that gets to, to play. And my dream of a better world is one where we're dancing together um, as humanity and the fullness of our gifts. And and for me, I, I believe that these gifts are all different and authentic, authentic each human being, that we're both interconnected and also bring these, these unique qualities, essences, gifts. And how does it help a person once they found their unique, authentic gifts How does it help a person to figure out what's next in their life? What I can say is that, um, I'll tell a little a brief story. Um, 
the headline for me for that is that there's a greater coherence that I experience when I feel that alignment. There's a greater ease. And as there's a greater ease, there's a greater ease in our neurobiology that allows us to be able to hear the whispers of life that's always guiding us. And um, when we're stressed or um, not in alignment, when we're in uh, you know perpetual kind of discomfort or, um, you know, caught in a narrative that, you know, we're really unhappy. It's just a lot harder to hear that, that, um, that whisper. And my realization of this came, it, it took a while for me to understand that my purpose was guiding people in their purpose. I remember when that light bulb finally turned on, you know, that there was, it was not by chance that I went, had gone through this labyrinth of lots of different careers and career choices and, you know, like the, uh, there's a, a children's book, you know, where a, a, a duckling goes out and asks everyone, are you my mother? Are you my mother? And I was like that with purpose. Are you my purpose? Are you my purpose? <laughs> I couldn't, I was like imagining like getting caught, you know, like in my britches, torn, torn up and twisted around in my britches of like, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? And, um, and then one day I was in Brazil on a, a, a silent retreat and I was walking down this trellised archway um, in this very beautiful part of, uh, of Brazil in the um, central Brazil in the, in the hills. And I all of a sudden felt this, it was, there was a lot of work that I was doing around purpose at that time. And then as I was walking through this trellised way, pathway, I all of a sudden I was going relatively slowly, but at a pace that felt as if I was being carried. And then I had the felt sense within myself of just total ease, of total um, being carried by life that involved a lot less efforting. And I can't describe it a lot in words because it has this ineffable quality that's very hard to describe in words. But I got the I got the message within my body um, of it was like an imprint, not the conditioned imprinting, you know, of the past, but it, uh, a kind of gift, like a download of sorts, of oh, like purpose is this kind of a alignment, this ease, this, and we all have that. I don't agree, you know, that people are just aren't in their purpose. We're all exactly where we need to be you know, in ways that put us on our path. And when I look back on life now, I can see that, oh my gosh, like there's perfection in all of it, you know, in the good things and the suffering and all of it, like it all lines up now. And it's such a, it's such a gift if you can take a time off, step off the, the crazy mm, career path just for a while, if it's only two weeks, right, for a retreat, just to come back to yourself, take a breath, and insights will come. We'll talk about that more at another in another episode. But it's amazing what can happen if you open yourself up to possibilities. Yeah, I agree. And that taking time off, you know, and, and allowing silence, I really believe that it's easier to hear guidance um, from a place of inner stillness and inner silence. Totally. Robin, 
I love the William James quote that you used in one of your writings. And it was, all of our life is but a mess of habits. So let's talk about habits and how does a person change their bad habits to good habits? Wow. You know, it's funny when I wrote that on my website, my website's a bit dated now. I think it's like 12 years old. Um, I've, I've gone back to, to what I wrote in that quote again and again. And it was one of those things like I didn't even understand at the time how that was going to be so important. But thank goodness I, I heard something. I was receiving something to write that quote. Because it just now, um, you know, as I look back, I habits to me are just so important, such a crucial part of, of a path of purpose. And, you know, there are certain habits, good habits that we can develop over time that um, help us to have that greater alignment. And that journey from bad habits to good habits is one that I've had the, the luxury of being able to explore a lot. I really struggled a lot with addiction when I was uh, younger, in my younger adult years of very typical addiction for uh, an overachieving woman who was not very regulated in her her body. Um, and an addiction for me is kind of like the mother of teachers when it comes to habits. And it can have such a grip you know, an addiction plays out in lots of different ways, but it's, you know, a, a habit, bad habit being that thing that has us more than we have it. You know, and I remember feeling helpless at times, you know, like I'm never, ever with that kind of very big language universalizing, I'm never going to make it out of this. And, you know, and I was one of the lucky few, lucky minority that actually made it out, which is a, a just incredible grace. And, what that journey taught me about um, bad habits and good habits, first of all, is that I don't know now that I would say that there's any the bad and good, like the line between those, I think, has gone away. I would never wish on my younger self that path again um, and the suffering that I went through and the harshness and the inner talk that I had at the time. But I would say that, you know, the the coming into more um, fulfilling, uh, wholesome habits has has really been so much a product of self-talk. Self-talk for me is a massive piece of this, how I am in relationship with myself, um, addressing my nervous system. Um, there's a lot of inner work that I needed to do and I also needed to be in an environment that was supportive of that. And so I would say that, you know, an environment that allowed me to stay still for a while in a nice home, you know, rather than I lived in a lot of different places, moved around a lot, and that didn't help very much from releasing. I needed, I really needed to be able to sit still for a long time. Long time. I needed a network of friends and support. So it was very much kind of the inner work that I needed to do, um, tools along the way that I found really helpful. We, uh, like an environment of people who could be really supportive for that, um, in shifting to new habits, um, having a supportive, having community, having friends, having support is, um, from research is, is actually a very big variable. Like people lose weight when they do it together. 
kind of thing. And, um, and then having the supportive context as well, you know, or having a home, um, having, um, uh, financial security, which I haven't always had either. Um, but for a period of time, I had enough of it that I could pay for therapy, for example, that I could pay to study, I've forgotten how many major modalities of uh, somatic psychotherapy coaching and trauma now, but I've studied every major modality I know, minus one. So as somebody who is on this path of, of trying to answer these questions of, you know, what's next for me and should I go this direction or that direction? So I'm trying to tie this into someone who out there who's listening to this, trying to figure out what's next, how getting out of some, quote, bad habits or less than useful habits and into good habits for change, how that all connects. When I'm coaching people, often they think they need to leave their jobs, you know, and that has to be the the answer because they're so unhappy and it has to be the job. Um, and often we'll get into a conversation of how they're actually in relationship with their job. And a lot of my clients end up staying where they are, but they change their relationship with where they are. And so, um, and they change their habits. And, you know, I really believe in resources to be able to, to be able to make these choices, having the inner resources um, to be able to know. I left my job without a clear plan. I left my last major job. My last major role, I was a, what was known as a thought leader at, at Deloitte. And it was a plum job. You know, I earned very good money. I was flying all over the world. I was a thought leader and, you know, dog and pony shows and all of that, you know, as a keynote speaker and all of that. And, um, and it was fun, you know, and, but it was, I was there for nine years and, and this was with a major management consulting firm, Deloitte. And, you know, there was a time where I realized like, I can't be here anymore, but I wasn't really sure what was next. And I left that job and I left the financial security of that job. And, you know, if I were to whisper to my younger self, I, I wouldn't say necessarily don't leave the job. I think leaving the job was probably the appropriate thing at the time. It took me two and a half to three years to gain the courage to leave that job. And I was very clear about what I cared about when I left, but I didn't have resource in a, a very clear like backup plan. I didn't have another business. I had a business name. I had an ideal and a vision and all of that. Um, you know, I, I am more, a little more conservative these days and when I'm with clients and advocating that they have the resource in place, um, you know, whenever they make that kind of pivot that they can take care of themselves. Ultimately, I ended up, you know, if I'm going to be totally honest, I spent all of my life savings on all of these different modalities and going into neurobiology and deeply studying purpose and going in this retreat and that retreat and deep in spiritual practice for many years. And, um, you know, I wouldn't, I was, there was a time where I wasn't quite lost because I was feeling more and more alignment, but, um, I think it depends, you know, and it, it really depends in making these kinds of choices. I wish I had a pat answer for you, but I, I think the one word that I have is, 
first check in and see, is it really the job that's the issue? Is it possibly um, how you're in relationship with the job that could be the case? And then for somebody who's really clear, you know, if if your fallback plan is to go be a scuba, dri- scuba diver in Fiji, you know, to maybe reconsider that there might be something else that's, that's calling. And, um, you know, it's easy to to leave something because we want to get away from it. And uh, my wish is that there's something very clear that you're moving towards. That requires a lot of self-awareness. Yes. The inside-out career design requires developing more and more self-awareness. So we believe it's at the core of change. But how do you help someone become more self-aware? <laughs> you have lots of experience here. That's yes. Self-awareness is core to all of this. It's a beginning place for purpose. It's a beginning place for leadership. You know, without self-awareness, um, you know, it's hard to be to do any kind of awareness around others or awareness of systems or something like that. Self-awareness is is the starting place. And so, you know, there are lots of ways. I use um, I use assessments that I find to be really helpful. You have assessments, and I just find those to be invaluable as a place to start, you know, and to be in conversation with oneself um, and to, to notice one's patterns. I remember taking your assessment, you know, some years ago around motivation, you know, and it's that kind of thing. Um, that we take where we really start watching ourselves in action. Um, and we take the insight, you know, the insight is about 20% of it. And it's a really important first 20%. Um, you know, we take that insight and we allow it to uh, inform our experiments in life and trying different things. And then it's in the habits, I believe. And in, the, in that experimenting and the actual doing, then that growth actually happens, you know, and doing that in a way that um, is, I will say, honors our neurobiology and is not too intense. How do you guide people to make wise decisions amidst complexity and uncertainty? (laughs) (laughs) Self-awareness and neurobiology is a big piece of it. Um, You know, I would say that the first step and being able to navigate in complexity and uncertainty is having, uh, I, I use this word, I'm finding, I'm using it now. It's a word that I really pushed against for a long time, but having a command of oneself, being in choice, being, I think of it as having, being in creative response more than reactivity, reactivity being, reacting to the past, to some kind of conditioning that we've had, you know, where we're just perpetuating old habits, perpetuating old things um, that have us, uh, you know, in automatic. That's what I was talking about, the idea of these habitual patterns that just keep unconsciously repeating over and over again. And I wonder about this neuroscience thing how does someone say, well, how would I get a grip on my neuroscience to help me make the kind of changes that I want to make? Yeah. 
there are a lot of, you know, I, I keep, I, let me just say as a headline that what we're understanding about how to have that grip, how to, um, to be with our whole self, our whole body in any given moment, the, our understanding of that and of neurobiology and neuroscience is just expanding like every day. And so one of the reasons that I continue immersing in this field is that the horizon keeps expanding. And, you know, it used to be that I've, I've never prescribed meditation for someone. I've been practicing for 27 years now, and I can't imagine a life without meditation. You know, I even have like this bowl and so on, you know, to remind me of, uh, of my commitment. Um, but that's not necessarily the best path for a lot of people. And um, I've really come to honor that. And so when I'm working with people these days, I work with exercises that are a little more accessible, that allow for healthier oscillations of the nervous system. And what I mean by that is that sometimes, and this was my case, when I would sit down to meditate, it was a really intense experience. Going inside for a lot of people is very intense, and it can actually send us in the, to a kind of intensity in our, our nervous system that doesn't help us to have healthier lives and healthier um, uh, ways of orienting towards life. And so I use exercises with people these days that are um, more titrated um, in, their, in the development and the cultivation of, of a neurobiology and a nervous system. And so I have a client um, who I work with who has very, very strong anxiety. Um, she's a very accomplished professional academic, um, someone who's accomplished a lot. And she's gotten there largely out of anxiety being that fuel, you know, for her. Um, but that's not necessarily the best fuel, you know, worrying your way into, into, it's kind of how I did things, you know, worrying your way into like a high position or into a PhD or whatever that happens to be, you know, is not the way to do it. So we need to break these ways of orienting that can be quite self-flogging sometimes. Uh, for me, it was that way. And, um, and so how I work with people these days is more titrated that helps to come into healthier oscillations of the nervous system where um, there's not this kind of intensity that um, has us feeling bad to feeling work, you know, feeling bad to feel better. What's, what is, uh, for our audience, what does titrated mean? Oh, titrating. You remember in chemistry, I don't know if you ever took chemistry, but in chemistry class, for anybody who's taken chemistry, where you go drip, 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 and then, you know, or something, titrate is like the little drips, you know, so that it doesn't go. So one of the things that I advocate for clients um, uh, that comes out of somatic, uh, comes out of trauma work, actually, is when there's, when you're feeling a kind of a rise and whatever might be happening is in that moment, just to allow your eyes to wander around the room wherever they want to go. And there are all sorts of things that happen in the nervous system where we're getting our orienting architecture of our body, first of all, involved, which is a really important thing. And it sends all sorts of signals to the body that, you know, right now, everything's okay. Right now, I'm safe. So I'll offer, I'll, I'll just invite clients um, in a way that's organic, that's not, you know, making them do something. But I'll, I might notice that in a moment of anxiety with this client, I'll notice, for example, her eyes go up, you know, and I'll say, oh, notice your eyes are looking out the window. What are you noticing? Oh, I notice 
um, this branch. Well, what do you notice about the branch? Well, I notice you know, the leaves aren't there anymore, and there are lots of branches, and um, and there's brown, and I notice it's a kind of calm day. Oh, tell me about the calm day. And so there's a, um, a way in which we're working. I'm working organically with where that person is already going themselves. I'm not making them do something, which can actually send a nervous system into a higher uh, degree of intensity. Um, but I'm catching organically where they're already going. Um, you know, there are other exercises, too, of rubbing fingers. You know, I feel the anxiety train coming and I know it's going to go down the tracks. And so as early as possible, I catch it and I just bring attention to my fingertips rubbing together. I, I've been practicing recently with a practice called positive intelligence that I like a lot where you do a lot of these reps, you know, just feeling, you know, with, uh, with attention you know, they're just noticing, you know, like the fingertips or wiggling toes. If I'm working with a leader who's sitting in a meeting and they get triggered by something someone says or something like that, um, you know, I'll have them rub their fingers or wiggle their toes. These things tend to be more accessible for me than going to the breath, which is where we often go and, um, and more, I won't get a lot into it, more aligned with their heart rate variability. When we bring control to our breath, it can actually send heart rate variability in, um, in ways that are not, not in rhythm with the heart. And focusing on your body is actually like a pattern interrupt. It's a pattern interrupt. That's exactly what it is. It's a habit interrupt. It's a pattern interrupt. And I'm not bringing people with this orientation with the eyes or rubbing the figures. I'm not bringing people into the center of their body where things might feel very intense. You know, it's pretty advanced practice to, to go into the core. Yeah. So that would be titrating, you know, little things that allow for gentler practices. Because you've taken a deep dive into self-awareness and are deeply invested in neuroscience, I can't help it but to ask a sometimes cliched question. Uh, what would you tell your 30-year-old self knowing what you know now? I would tell my 30-year-old self that, number one, it's okay. You're going to be okay. At 30, I was living... Hey, a pretty nice life. I was living in Honduras on my 30th birthday. And on the one hand, it looked like I was having a great life, but inside I felt like a mess, you know. I felt uh, this can happen for people in their 20s and 30s, you know. It can be kind of a distressing time for a lot of young, young adults. I had all sorts of expectations about who I should be and what I should be doing and who I was not. I was very oriented towards what was wrong a lot of things that were wrong. And I didn't, um, I didn't yet have the capacity to see the intelligence that's at play in everything. And, um, and that's taken many years to cultivate, to see and appreciate the wisdom that's always here, you know, and I work with leaders and teams on this now, you know, and finding uh, what, what's right about what's happening. You know, what is the intelligence that might be at play? And that would be my, my biggest wish. Myself, my inner talk as a 30-year-old was pretty harsh. So the advice is to really listen to your inner wisdom. 
to listen to, I think, be softer, to allow like a gentler, you know, and, you know, this is a very feminine kind of thing, but your thighs are okay. You know, your, your weight is fine. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be fine, but to really trust, maybe trust, trust life, trust life, trust you know, the intelligence that's at play in, in everything and, um, and to play. Mm. Mm. That's a beautiful, beautiful part to stop this conversation. I think we're at time. Yeah. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you really want our audience to know? Yeah, I'll just, you know, building on that last bit Something that I, it's taken me a very long time to understand is that the name of this game of life is ease and enjoyment. And when we align with that ease and the, doesn't mean that there aren't obstacles along the way, you know, that comes with life. There are always going to be obstacles. It's okay to rest. It's okay to enjoy. It's okay to play. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for speaking your truth with such clarity and compassion and i i truly deeply honor the path that you've walked on and that leader and coach that you are today it's beautiful to to hear and to see thank you robin thank you Robin. thank you peter thank you it's really an honor to be able to be in this conversation Mm. i'm grateful for your for your audience that they have you. One of my biggest takeaways was how Robin spoke in a different way about the idea that purpose has a lot to do with being in alignment with yourself and your values. Now that I think about it, alignment with yourself is a defining factor of a fulfilling, satisfying life. What a beautiful way she described it. Yes. And I was reminded again that the core of all growth, learning, and personal change is self-awareness. It's a lifelong practice. And the idea of taking some time off from a crazy career path to rest, to come back to yourself, breathe, and let new insights come to you, is very dear to my heart. Oh, I love that. To learn more about Robin, head to whatsnext.com forward slash 11, where we share the transcript, links, and more. Again, that's w-h-a-t-s-n-e-x-t dot com forward slash 11. And if you like what you've heard, Share it with someone you care about and subscribe, rate and review our Inside Out Career Design Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. Thanks so much for joining us here today. We'll see you next week for another episode, same time, same place.